Hey everyone, the It's All Journalism team wanted to remind you that we have an email newsletter where you can get all the latest news about our podcast. Go to our website, itsalljournalism.com, and follow the link to subscribe. Thanks, and enjoy the episode. It kind of reinforced freelancing with the sun to where, look, I got to take a step back from that. It's not as rewarding as it used to be, and you just you try to keep pushing, try to keep getting your story out and in front of as many people as you can and in hopes that some some point a door will open. Quite often when you start out as a journalist, you have a dream job you wish to pursue. The path to getting that dream job isn't always clear, and neither are the roadblocks you may encounter along the way. I'm Michael O'Connell. This is It's All Journalism. Blake Baumgardner is a freelance journalist from Naperville, Illinois, just outside of Chicago. He's trying to get established in the journalism industry, but faces mobility issues due to living with cerebral palsy. Welcome to the podcast, Blake. Thanks, Michael. Happy to be here. Yeah, well, I'm happy to have you on the podcast. So, so first of all, tell me a little bit about yourself. Where did you grow up and uh, how did you end up getting interested in sports journalism? Well, I've been a sports fan all my life and, and grew up in Naperville. So unfortunately, I haven't really left, left town as much as I would like to. You know, grew up a sports fan and, and obviously, you know, couldn't play because of because of my cerebral palsy. So, you know, just try to get involved in any way that I can and, and kind of grew up to be kind of an encyclopedia of sorts growing up. And that's how I got acceptance, you know, amongst my peers growing up in school and this and that. So, you know, the, the writing acumen kind of came later as I got in high school and stuff like that and, and wanting to try to pursue journalism as a, as a college major. But, you know, my background in sports and, and my passion for it has run deep since I was young and, and just trying to learn, you know, every fact, figure, stat that I can and, and just kind of try to soak all that soak all that stuff up. So tell me about the, the freelance gig. What, what sports are you covering? I was the lead prep writer for Naples Sun, which is the local paper here for on and off periods from March of 2010 until let's call it uh, March of 2019 was uh, football, boys basketball, and baseball. So, you know, I was, in effect, doing what a staff writer would be doing, covering those those three beats. You know, features, gamers, notebooks, all area packages, you know, any recruiting stuff. You know, if we had a certain certain athlete commit to a, commit to a school, we'd do stuff on that. So just basically doing what a staff writer would be doing, just without the title that goes with it and the cachet that goes with it. You approached us, you reached out to us talking about being a man with cerebral palsy, trying to find a job in the journalism industry. Did you encounter any difficulties in doing your freelance job? I guess the only difficulty was, or would be like, for example, football, you know, you got some reporters who could, you know, they stand and watch the game from the sidelines. You know, I can't do that. One, I can't stand for long periods of time. And two, Probably the bigger issue is being able to grip something in my left hand, you know, and obviously being able to, to write with my right hand. So I football, I'd have to be up in the press box, computer, keeping my own stats with an Excel spreadsheet, keeping play by play and a steno notebook, you know, and then obviously, you know, not being able to drive. So I'd have to, luckily enough, you know, my mother's kind of a saint. So she would be able to, to drop me off at, you know, whatever high school I'd be covering a game at and obviously picking me up. And then, you know, with the paper being a Sunday, Wednesday, Friday paper, 
you know, deadline wasn't as big of an issue. So I'd be able to file, you know, once I got back home and then just file with my editor and then it would go online probably late Friday, early Saturday morning, and then it would run in print on Sunday. As far as the deadline issue goes, you know, if you were say a, a staff reporter, do you think that you, you would be able to find ways to adapt so that you would be able to, you know, meet deadlines? I think it would depend on if, if it was, you know, we talk in a seven day a week paper, we talk in, you know, six days a week, three days. A week. I think, I think that number one would depend. And, and I think be where are you covering something and how far of a distance do you have to go? Cause again, I'm not somebody who, who would go to like a McDonald's or Starbucks, you know, to file on a pinch, you know, to use their Wi-Fi. So I've never really done that. So I think it would just depend on the type of publication you're writing for and, and where, where you're covering something in relation to where you live. I think that's probably the biggest, the biggest impediment that I've encountered just from a standpoint of applying for full-time work with papers because, you know, the sun was kind of a nice setup because you're only dealing with six schools. So like the Daily Herald in Arlington Heights, Illinois, you could be dealing with 20 or 25 schools within DuPage County. And I could never do that. So the sun was a good setup just because of the limited number of schools and they're all relatively close by. Some of the challenges you mentioned, you know, such as, you know, going to the McDonald's or whatever to, to file. I mean, you know, there, there are adaptations to that. You know, you can, you can get a sort of a, a mobile wireless thing that you can set up. You could sit in your car or you could, you know, find a, a space where you could write something up and, and file. You know, you shared some of your clips with us and I was looking at your, your stuff on Medium. I mean, you're a really good feature writer. You have a real sense of, you know, how to tell a story, an engaging story. You know, you had, had a number of uh, interviews with some sports people talking about, you know, the challenges they faced. I can't remember which one it was. It was about a, uh, a pitcher from Creighton who went on and talked about a big league game that was his first big league game. And that's a real human sports type feature that, you know, that I thought you did really well. Yeah, Nick, Nick Lopez, shortstop, Naval Central grad, which is where I went to school, full disclosure. And then he, he played baseball three years at Creighton and got drafted in the fifth round uh, by the Royals in 2016 and then made his major league debut uh, with the Royals in May of 2019. Yeah, and also you had some stories up there about your experiences. I guess you were you were pursuing a job at ESPN in their uh, stats department. Can you sort of tell me about that experience? You know, a couple of years before that, I was just kind of fooling around on Twitter and uh, Peter Vesey started following me on Twitter. So then I started engaging with him, kind of explaining, you know, my story, my journey, what I'm trying to do. Would you be willing to, to look at some of my stuff? And then, you know, August of 2018, after a previous interview with ESPN, I had two phone interviews that didn't, didn't go particularly well in terms of making the next step and really no fault of my own, or at least I didn't think there was any fault on my own. So he said, why don't you put your story out there? You know, we could put on Facebook, Twitter. He was writing on Patreon at that point, doing some you know work on his own. So he was going to try to help me get it out there. You know, so we did that August of 2019, you know, got, got some nice, nice feedback. Although the only person I really heard from that wanted to actually meet with me was Mark Boyle, who was the radio play-by-play voice of the Indiana Pacers. And he and I met in Chicago in October before a Bulls-Pacers preseason game. 
But fast forward six months, we did a follow-up in February 2019. Mike Breen caught wind of it, and then he forwarded on to Norby Williamson, who's a you know big wig executive ESPN. And then you know that eventually led to me talking with a recruiter at ESPN by the name of Stacy Williamson. And then we you know we got to the point where I went out to Bristol to interview with ESPN for two days, April 3rd and 4th, uh, 2019, for a job in their stats and information group. And, you know, unfortunately, a couple of weeks later, I found out that I wasn't making it to the next step in that process. But I made a strong enough impression with the HR rep that I met with on the second day of that interview, and we've kept in touch. And then I ended up applying for and interviewing for their production assistance program called ESPN Next. Had a couple interviews in March of this year, and then found out in May that I wasn't making it to the next step of that process, which would have been an in-person interview out in Bristol. But obviously, with COVID-19, that process, I'm sure, got put on hold. So I'm not sure what happened uh, with that. So, you know, I've kind of kept in touch with her, the HR rep. So we're still, you know, that door I don't think is completely closed, but she's She's one of a few advocates that I have, and I don't have a lot of them. So, you know, trying to keep that door open uh, as best I can, while also understanding that something at ESPN may not happen. And, and I don't want to be ESPN or nothing. And that's kind of what I'm afraid, you know, that I'm, you know, getting myself into. And I certainly don't want that to be the case. But if something at ESPN, if that does happen down the road, that, you know, that certainly would be great because I do think I would be an asset there. And I've told people there on many occasions. Do you have like a, a, a dream job scenario, a type of sports job you'd like to have? I think my dream job when I went into college was I wanted to be a, a baseball beat writer. You know, I've got a good college buddy by the name of Jordan Bastian who now covers the Cubs from OB.com. He's covered the Indians and the Blue Jays in the past. You know, I'd love to be doing what he's doing. But, you know, unfortunately, with some of the things that I've been through, you know, I think that I've had to pivot away from that, you know, long, long ago. And, and that's what, you know, kind of led to paying your dues with doing the freelance work for the Naples Sun. But, you know, I kind of gotten to the point there where nothing better was going to come from that. And my editor understood that I'd had an interview for an internship with the Cleveland Cavaliers and my editor spoke to them on my behalf. And he told, you know, the media relations people there that, you know, flat out, I can't do anything more for Blake. You guys are in a position where you can do something for him. I can't, you know, and then to go out to ESPN and, and the two days out in April of 2019 and you, and you put yourself out there and, and you're vulnerable and, and you don't regret anything that you did over those two days. And for that not to happen, it kind of reinforced, you know, the freelancing with the sun to where, look, I got to take a step back from that. It's not as rewarding as it used to be. And you just, you try to keep pushing, try to keep getting your story out and in front of as many people as you can and in hopes that some, some point a door will open. Yeah. As far as like advice to give, I mean, there's not much more advice to give than that. You know, these are tough times for a lot of people, but certainly it's a tough times for journalists in general. Lots of positions have dried up. I think there'll, there'll always be a demand for, for good sports writers just because of that, the role that sports plays in our society and, and the interest that so many people put in it. So, I mean, you know, there are opportunities for, 
not just in sports, but, you know, in other types of, of journalism. And sometimes, sadly, it, it really comes down to what you're able to do on your own and how you, you know, because you're in, in the end of the day, you're your best marketer, creating content that people want to read and then sort of establishing your own brand and, you know, just plugging away as hard as you can to try and uh, to get somebody to notice you. Because at the end of the day, you, you want to be able to earn some money for what you're doing. Correct. And, and because of, of what Peter Bessie's tried to do, again, I've had, you know, I've had numerous conversations, you know, with Mike Green and, and got a chance to meet him volunteering at the NBA All-Star Game this past February in Chicago. Got a chance to chat with Adrian Wojnarowski while I was there, David Aldridge, Steve Ashburner. I've had a chance to, to chat with Jeff Goodman on the phone. Jim Nance a couple times on the phone through a another contact of mine, Bryce Weiler, who does some work with the nonprofit group, the uh, Beautiful Lives Project. So, I mean, I've made some good contacts. You know, I've gotten, you know, Tom Ackerman, the radio sports director with KMOX in St. Louis. You know, so I've, I've talked with some certainly bigger people than me. I guess the frustrating part for me is that, you know, nothing has come of that. And with the freelance work that I've done, unless you're, in Naperville and a fan of Naperville high school sports, you don't really care. So it's been hard for me to try to branch out, get some different opportunities, writing opportunities, writing about different things and maybe reach different audiences that go beyond, you know, the Naperville prep scene, because, you know, unless, unless you, you went to a school here or you'll have a, you know, son or daughter playing, you know, high school sport here, you don't really care about what's going on in Naperville. And, that, and that's the biggest problem or one of the biggest problems that I've kind of encountered because trying to get more opportunities, you can only do with what you've been given. And I haven't really been given the opportunity to go past freelancing in my hometown. And that's not what I went to Michigan State to do. <laughs> it's just, it's frustrating. And, you know, I greatly appreciate the help that Bessie has been, the help that Mike Breen has been, you know, Jim Nance has been great. Two phone conversations with him and an occasional email contact back and forth. You know, Adrian Orjanowski, same thing. You're just trying to keep getting your story out there. And that's what I tried to do, you know, on Medium to where, you know, again, the personal narrative stuff that I wrote, it's probably the hardest stuff I've ever had to write because I don't like necessarily writing or talking about myself. But at the same time, it, kind of came easy because it was from the heart and you know the hardest stuff that I've ever had to write because you you sit back and you kind of reflect you know what you've been through and and where you want to go and you also understand that life isn't fair and you know you're battling something that, that you have no control over and you just hope that at some point your hard work and perseverance and persistence will pay off you know somewhere so you know, the, the stats opportunity ESPN, I mean, that, that's me at my core because that's how I, you know, became a sports fan to begin with. So I hesitate to ask this question, but let, let me just, just go ahead and ask you. You've just said that you're pursuing this job on ESPN. This is the one that you feel that you're most fit for. What if it never materializes? That's a good question. You know, I just, I, I think I've reached a ceiling with the writing because I don't know where that opportunity is going to come from because again, I don't know how to branch out more from just freelancing 
Naval High School sports, and I'm scared to death that I've been typecast that way because that's never that never was my intention. It was always about trying to pay your dues. So that's a good question. I don't have an answer for that. Well, let me interject something here about my about my own life. I came to full-time journalism late in life because when I came out of college, I got married and my wife and I decided to have children early and I ended up staying at home to help raise them. And so I did not immediately out of journalism school, go out and pursue a journalism job. As my children got older, I was able to freelance and I kind of took this very circuitous trip toward working in media on a full-time basis. And that really didn't, you know, I graduated in 1983 and I didn't really didn't have a, a full-time job that involved journalism until 1999. That's a, that's a big gap. So like you, I mean, you're in your thirties and you get to kind of this point and you think, you know, have I missed the boat? For me, it was always sort of a struggle to try to prove that I was not what people expected me to be. You know, a couple of jobs that I've had where I was in positions that I became dissatisfied with because I felt like I was being perceived, I'm in this box and I don't want to be in this box. This is not the box I was meant to be in. And so I would seek opportunities that would get me out of that box that would redefine who I was and sort of pursue that. And a lot of that came from, you know, taking leaps of faith, leaving things behind. And then sort of for focusing on the strength that I did have, you know, my writing, my reporting, and sort of using those as stepping stones to whatever came next. The thing I found was, you know, all along this journey, I had these perceptions of this is the ideal job for me. This is that if I get this job, this is going to make me happy. And I've, I don't think I've ever had an experience of getting a job and being really kind of 100% happy with what it is. It's never exactly what you imagine it's going to be, and it's never the thing that's that's going to satisfy you. At least, well, to me, that, that's been my experience. But, you know, being an older person now, about to be 60, you know, looking back at my career, which I started late, you know, I, I see that I created a lot of opportunities for myself, that I jumped at places where I needed to kind of jump. I spent time in places I wasn't happy at. But I was always moving forward and I was sort of building on the experience. And most of the advancement that I have were choices that I made and chances that I took. And occasionally, you know, there was an opportunity that came, came about because I had made a friend or I had done a job or, or something or started a podcast. I get, you know, this, this podcast has opened so many doors for me. And you know, it's not something that I thought that that would be the end result of this. But really, that's been kind of the value of doing something like this. So I'm not exactly sure what I'm saying to you. But it's, I don't think there's an end. I mean, you're the only person who can say, okay, this is over. This is an end. I think there's always opportunities. And, you know, as long as you have faith in yourself, which it sounds like you have a lot of faith in yourself and your ability you're the person who sets the limitations on, on how far you can go and who you can be. I don't know if I necessarily totally agree with that. How so? My personal situation, when you look at, you know, I've had a couple of job offers, one in particular that was 
offered to me and then was rescinded after they found out about my disability situation. And then there was another one in Virginia where I physically went down to interview and and felt a, a really nice rapport with the sports editor who was from Chicago and the managing editor seemed like a good guy. And then got a call back, I don't know, a week or 10 days later and was basically told that, well, if the driving was an issue, we'd probably be trying to get you down here as soon as possible. That's a close to a verbatim quote. This was what, 2007, so I was 24 at the time. And then a couple of months later, got an email and said, or, you know, I hired somebody else. And then I ended up, again, 24, first time anything like this really ever happening to me. I send off a scorched earth email to the managing editor, which again, you know, given some time, would I do that again? Absolutely not. So I don't know if it's completely up to me where I go and how far I go. I think what's up to me is what I'm trying to do. What I aspire to do is up to me, but as far as where I can legitimately go, I don't know if that's completely up to me. I apologize for not, because I, I, I don't have the experience of living with cerebral palsy. I have not had opportunities taken to, away from me because of a physical disability. So I, I cannot equate what I do in my experience with the experiences that you have had having job, you know, jobs just taken away from you just because you can't drive or you face these mobility issues. I, I haven't had that experience. So that's a limitation that is certainly very valid. But that being said, I do think you sound like you're kind of almost at an inflection point here. And certainly part of it is you're waiting to hear back from, from ESPN and, and you feel like you've put in so much effort in all these different directions. So if, if you hear back from ESPN, you know, not now, what are your thoughts? What directions do you think you'll go? Well, I mean, let, let me clarify. I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm not currently up for a job at ESPN okay. at the moment. I just, you know, I made a solid enough impression on the human resources represented that I actually met with on the second day when I was out in Bristol in April of last year, and I've kind of kept in touch with her. So, I mean, that door isn't completely shut, but like, am I currently under consideration for a job right now no that doesn't mean that won't happen in the future but i'm not currently up for a job at espn right now i just want to want to clarify that okay are you actively in the job hunt yeah the frustrating part for me is like going on linkedin and indeed you know and i'm looking at certain jobs and, and the frustrating part for me is most of them either i have no interest in or i have no business doing whether it's be doing searches, communication searches, journalism searches, public relations, that's quite frustrating. So, you know, do I want to get into sports? Absolutely. Am I best suited for that? Absolutely. But, you know, you're, you're also trying to look for work that's non-sports stuff, but, you know, I got to be honest with myself is that I probably have no business doing non-sports stuff because that's not what I know. I know what I know and I know what I don't know, you know, so yes, I am actively searching, but obviously with COVID stuff like that has made it even you know, a little bit harder, but you know, most of these jobs that I'm looking at either I have no interest in or probably a little bit more of the case really have no business doing because I'm not qualified. Yeah. You just don't want to blanket send your resume out to every every journalism job opening there is because obviously you're not going to fit. That's a waste of people's time and in, in your effort. 
you know, and I was, I was out of work through most of 2019. And I know people who are still out of work from that period of time or, or who've lost their job in the last year, journalists. And, and it's a tough market right now for, for journalists because the jobs are, are, are going away. Uh, a lot of them are, unfortunately. You asked what, you know, I guess a pivot point where if, okay, if something ESPN doesn't happen and obviously nothing has happened, like I've always thought, you know, I wanted to be a, a student manager at Michigan State when I was there, basketball team. I interviewed a couple different times for freshman year and junior year. And then I got to do some work with the sports information department there at basketball games. Uh, I think I could do well in sports information, media relations environment with a team. And I've probably had more interviews with teams since I graduated 15 years ago than I have with newspapers. You know, I think I could be a fit there, but again, no office work experience while I was at Michigan State. It was just helping out of basketball games. You know, that's been, um, I guess, a problem in trying to take potentially the next step, you know, with that. Although I did interview with the University of Arizona in 2008 and finished second out of a group of about 50. And they even told me that I was the better writer of the final two, but the person that they went with was a University of Arizona grad. Uh, that they're familiar with so you know that was you know quite frustrating but that who knows where my life would have been you know had i spent a year or two in tucson i guarantee you i'm probably still not in neighborville illinois you know living with my parents you know four months shy of his 38th birthday um you know interview interviewed a couple of times with the cubs interviewed with the white Sox, went out to cincinnati interviewed with the reds had a couple interviews with the cavaliers so i mean um you know, San Francisco Giants, Tampa Bay Rays uh, over the years. So Buffalo Bills. So I think I could do well in sports information media relations type of environment. But, you know, the lack of experience working in an office has certainly harmed, you know, that potential door from potentially cracking open somewhere. Um, so it hasn't, hasn't been for lack of trying. Yeah. Oh, no, no. I'm not, I'm not saying you ain't trying. You know, you know, I've been on so many job interviews where, you know, if you just had this experience or if you had more time doing this, you'd be perfect for this job or you're really strong in this one area, but we wish you had some experience in others. And, you know, I think nine times out of 10, they're not going to find the ideal candidate. They're not going to find the person that has all, you know, hundred percent of, of everything they're looking for. They just make their judgment on whatever their judgment is. You can't, you know, prepare yourself. You can't be create a perfect candidate for every job that you're going to interview. That's just doesn't really kind of happen. But, you know, if you go on a number of these sports information jobs at, at universities and stuff, and they're saying, yeah, you know, if we had more experience in the office, you know, maybe there's other comparable work that you can get on your resume that sort of shows that you can do that sort of stuff the same way you would go to you know, cover high school sports to show that you can write those types of stories and, and get some clips. It's tough. You have the challenges that you face, but you also have the challenges that every other journalist that's out there who's looking for a job is facing, is that there are more journalists who are out of work right now than there, than there are jobs. To the sports information end, I mean, I mean, I've reached out in the past about volunteering, but, you know, with schools in Chicago, because of the public transportation component to where I could get there. But the other side of that coin is, that's what they have student assistance for. So you're not gonna you're not gonna bring in somebody, you know, from the outside to volunteer in the office when you've got 
students who can do that or grad you know students who can do that you know that's been as far as that avenue is concerned that's been kind of a roadblock that i don't really know how you know i can you know get over and you know that gap that i can make up uh, as far as you know that industry is concerned so something you said earlier about you know what somebody interprets as a perfect job may you know doesn't always you know measure up to that i think there's probably a lot of truth in that no matter what business or industry you're talking about like you know had i you know gotten that you know job last year you know with espn um you know would it you know would it have been everything that i had imagined it to be probably not but i feel strongly enough that i would have been you know an asset there you know i would have been you know happy there enough to take the risk of you know moving away from home which i haven't done and and the questions of you know that i battle with of could i live independently because i do have questions about that you know to take that risk it would have been worth it because i believed in that job enough that had that opportunity come my way odds are i would have taken that job taken that risk moved out to connecticut and you know everything that goes with it could i live independently and face that fear head on and just see what happens yeah no that was a a leap that you were willing to make because you felt that the you know the opportunity was going to afford afford you that you know, it's a cliche to say you got to create your own opportunities, but you know that it's so true. You know, you got to be willing to take that jump. You sound like somebody who, who would be willing to make jumps and who would be willing to make changes. So, you know, I guess that's what I would say to you. It has to be calculated. I know I have repeatedly told you know, that HR rep from ESPN to where, you know, that, that I, have, you know, have corresponded with and have kind of built a good rapport with, you know, I've told her, I said, you know, it's got to be a calculated. I mean, the job doesn't have to be perfect, but it's almost got to be a can't miss, you know, because again, I go back to my fears of could I live independently? I don't know. But at the same time, I know that I'm not going to get to where I want to go in Naperville, Illinois. So, you know, and, and going back to school, you know, it's, it's been something that, that has been brought up to me, again, the HR from ESPN included. I just student loans scare the living crap out of me. I don't want to touch them. I mean, there's no, there's no guarantee. And, and I had a conversation with Malcolm Moran about this. And he said, well, do you want to teach? And I go, no. And he said, that would be the big, biggest reason to go back to school to get a master's in journalism is if you want to teach. And I have no desire to do that. So I don't see myself going back to school. I've never really felt that itch. And she the HR rep from ESPN told me, you know, she said, well, if you want to get into sports, you got to go back to school. And that, that was a little disheartening because, you know, I've got a degree from a big 10 university, pretty good communications journalism school. And if I can't get a job with the degree that I have, I mean, I, you know, going to grad school has never been, has, I mean, my heart has never been in it. It has never really been in it to pursue it. And I don't see myself doing that mainly because of the money, because, you know, there's no guarantee, especially with the economy, unfortunately, the way we're living in now, there's no guarantee if you get that degree, 
that you're going to be able to get a job after it that will let you pay off those loans. And, you know, getting in debt, that's not somewhere I want to be. I hear you 100%. And I certainly was, you know, being married to somebody who has a good job that, that afforded me with a, a degree of cushion that a lot of people aren't going to have. And, and I'm even not even saying necessarily go back to school. You know, I was at a point where, you know, I was working in a, at a newspaper. I was a print journalist. And I recognized that journalism was moving online and that I needed to pick up some skills. And for me, the quickest way to do that was to, to spend two years in a master's program that met eight hours every Saturday for 60 weeks. And that, for me, that was something I could invest my time in and that I knew that I was going to get. It was more like, a, you know, journalism. I went to Indiana University when it had a journalism school. And you came out of that with, it was basically like a, like a training, a business school, a training school, you came out of it with these, these skills as a journalist, and those are still valid. The things that I did not have were the digital skills. And as far as, you know, what is the perfect job? You know, when I got my job at Federal News Radio, I was so miserable at the job that I was at that I took the first opportunity I could to get out of it. You know, I interviewed in lots of different places, but the people who, who wanted me to come work for them was a radio station. The only hitch was I had, I had to work the 3 a.m. shift. And I said yes to it because I really hated where I was at. And I knew that, you know, it was not a perfect situation and I was going to have to alter my life considerably to, you know, get up at, you know, a quarter to two every day to drive into town to, to work at this job. But it's something I did because I, I recognized I would be in a better place. So I, you know, I guess at the end of the day, it's, you're the, you're the person who's sitting where you're sitting and you're the one who's going to need to make the decision of where you need to go and pursue the jobs you, you want to pursue and hopefully find and create opportunities that are going to get you where you want to go. Whether that's school, whether that's a different type of job, whether it's picking up some different skills or some other types of job experience, I mean, that's all going to be from your perspective. What you think is going to be the most successful? Yeah, and I'm, you know, I'm afraid that if you, if I try to do something just to do something, that I'm never going to get an opportunity to do something that, you know, would actually, you know, make me happy to some degree. That's also something that scares me to death. That if I were to, to let's just say I got an opportunity doing something completely different, you know, that would, in my opinion, signal the end of it. And I don't really ever want to do that because I don't know if, if I'm going to be able to find happiness if it's something outside of sports because it's, it's what I know. It's, it's my passion. It's, again, I, I know I'm repeating myself, but it's what I know with every fiber of my being and it's me at my core. So to transition to something else and then not eventually get a chance to do something that, that you want to do, that scares me to death. Again, turning 38 in April of 2021. I feel like I'm running out of time, which I think is something that you kind of alluded to earlier in our conversation. Yeah, that's a real fear. And it's not a fear that, that it's just all of a sudden come on. It's a fear that, that I've, felt for years and it gradually gets more and more prevalent you know as i get older yeah that's not going to go away i, no, I can tell you not. that's that's not it's not going to especially it's not going to go away if you don't change your situation correct you know i made the decision to go back to school when i was how old would i have been I'm 49 i said i'm going to go back to school 
And I did that because you know, how long am I going to live? How much longer am I going to work? Can I sit here where I'm at right now and continue to be this miserable for another 10 years? <laughs> or 10 or 15 years or whatever it was going to be until I retire or die or whatever. And I was just like, no, I cannot do this. I need to change. And I didn't change. You know, I, I certainly could have changed five, 10 years before that, but I didn't because I was comfortable in it. And the, the prospect of, of making a change was so frightening. Yeah. Finding ways that I can legitimately better my circumstances is something that I've struggled with and continue to struggle with. And I don't have a good answer for that. I, I don't. I don't. Yeah, you have to keep asking. And I think one of the things that you're doing that I think is, is helpful to that is making these connections with other people, even talking to the HR person, even if there's somebody that they say that, well, yeah, we're not, we don't have anything with your skill set right now. There's something we can't use. I mean, look at what you can do now. It seems to be the sports element is the thing that, that really is, is, is the thing that you're focused on right now. Like, for example, like, I don't know if I could be a news writer. I don't know if I could do that. Again, just as an example, would my news writing stories be as good as good as my sports writing stories? I don't really think they would be, right? So every time Leslie Cummings and I talk, and she's the HR from ESPN, you know, I feel good because we're on the same page. Okay, we see, she sees what I want. Okay, she sees where I could be a potential fit at ESPN. You know, but she she wants me to succeed whether I whether it's at ESPN or not. Okay. So, and that makes it feel good. Cause again, I could count that list on one hand. Okay. If people who are truly advocates, you know, Peter Bessie is one, you know, Mike Breen is one, you know, truly advocates. You had know, put Jim Nance there, but he's probably a little bit to the side, you know, Adrian Rodronowski, again, same thing, actually having met him and chatted with him for a couple of days over all-star weekend. You know, I certainly made an impression on him. That was positive that I, you know, I learned that, you know, from a conversation that Mike Breen had with him. So I've met, you know, certain big wigs in the industry and that makes me feel good because, you know, people have taken an interest. The frustrating part is that nothing has come of it. And it's not, not to put any of that blame on anybody because it's nobody's fault. You know, I'm just trying to network. That's a never ending process. And you just, you're trying to get my story and things that I've written in front of as many people as I can and decision makers, and hopefully it finds the right decision maker. That's something that, that I'll keep doing to the best of my ability. And, and really that's the thing that I'm focusing on right now, given where the industry's at, where the economy's at, and COVID and all that type of stuff, and who's hiring and who's not, and just trying to connect as many people as I can. And, and you, you know, again, you may not get a response from somebody, you might. I didn't think I'd get a response from Jim Nance the same day I emailed him, but I did. Yeah, people surprise you. People are a lot more accessible than than you think they are. I sent a DM to Jeff Passan because his DMs are open, and you know, a couple of weeks ago, didn't get a response. You know, that's okay. Took a shot. Like, you know, when it comes to reaching out to certain people, I'm not afraid to take a shot. If I hear from them, great. If I don't, I don't. But you know, I've come to the realization that I can't do it on my own, and that I'm going to need somebody to open up a door for me to either walk through or run through, and then, you know, the rest will be history. And that's something that, that, you know, has kind of become painfully clear to me for many, many years is that I need help. I know I need help. And, you know, we'll need somebody 
to open up a door. Let me switch back on something here. Something that you said, or you talked about, I don't know if I could be a news reporter. And also the fact that you, you've said that you, that maybe that writing is not the thing that you, you feel that you're strong. It's, it's your, your interest and your knowledge of, of sports that you feel is the, th- the most important thing. But, you know, some of the stuff that you have posted, oral history of a job search while living with cerebral palsy, you have a story, you have a different perspective, and you're writing about yourself. That in and of itself is an asset. It wasn't easy to do. Well, yeah, but that being said, that doesn't mean it's necessarily a, a bad thing to do or, or something that you shouldn't do. No, right. No, I'm, I'm look, I'm happy I, happy I did it. I'm happy, you know, Peter Vesey kind of got me to that place to where, okay, I'm going to kind of vent a little bit. I'm going to put it down. I'm going to do what I know how to do and put it down, you know, on paper. And it was therapeutic. And uh, again, the follow up in, in February of 2019. And then I did a year, you know, kind of retrospective in August of 2019. You know, all that is encompassing. It was therapeutic because I do have a different perspective. I know that. Like, you know, I had a conversation with Jason Benetti in April of 2016. And I'd be lying if I said that. I wish that I would have been able to develop more of a relationship with him because he knows to some degree, certainly better than people that I know what I've gone through. Now, again, I don't want to do what he does, but he's very good at it and I'm happy for him. Jason Benetti is the play-by-play voice of the Chicago White Sox. He does some work, TV voice. He does some work for ESPN. He has cerebral palsy. Now, it affects him differently than it does me. but He's really good at what he does and he deserves everything that, that has come to him. But even he's got a different perspective than I do. Cause like he, to me, and again, it's no fault of his, it's no fault of his, but he's the exception out the rule, right? People with disabilities trying to get opportunities in the industry, you know, what's happened for him. That's another reason why I kind of want to reach out to you because, and reach out to other people because it, I don't begrudge his success. I'm happy for him. He's an ambassador for the cerebral palsy community, if you want to call it that. But he's the exception, not the rule. And that's a little frustrating that more people like myself haven't been able to get opportunities to do what they know how to do, like he's been given an opportunity to do what he knows how to do, which is broadcast baseball games and basketball games and football games, which he does for ESPN. Yeah, and he, he did not get that position because he had cerebral palsy. He got that position because of the skills he had. Correct. Correct. And kudos to him. Kudos to you for trying to do the same thing, to try to, to move forward on your skill. The only thing I was trying to say is that, as you said, you have a perspective that not a lot of people have. Well, I say that not a lot of people. There are a lot of people with disabilities who are competing in the job market for jobs and are, are faced with challenges because of, uh, of their disabilities. And is that fair? That's not fair. But that's, you know, that's the way the life is. So, you know, my only point about your writing is you're, you're a really good writer. It, and I understand maybe you, you don't want to tell your story. You want to be known for your skills. You don't want to be known for, the, for what your story is. But your story is very interesting. And I think it, it speaks to a lot of people. And the more people see others who, who are facing these challenges, 
the greater understanding and acceptance they have and maybe more willingness they are that when they see somebody who has a challenge like this, that should not bar them from employment or for some opportunity. Right. And, and that's something that's something that Bryce Weiler, again, he's blind and he, he helps out with this nonprofit called the Beautiful Lives Project. And I referenced him earlier in our conversation. That's like his sole goal is to get people with disabilities involved in sports, right? Whether it's playing sports or in my case, wanting to get into the industry in some way, shape or form. He's the one who got, who helped me kind of get in touch with Nance because he gave me his email address and then I took a shot and emailed him. You know, it's, it's people like that, that certainly understand my story more so than maybe some other people. He's tried to help me get my story in front of people. Again, same thing. You email somebody, if you hear from them, great. If you don't, you don't, you know, so he's been, you know, very helpful in trying to help me find something more stable than what I've been having to do since, since graduating and the freelancing prep stuff, because, you know, that's not, I always viewed it as a means to an end. And I always, you know, unfortunately it got to the point where the only way for it to end is if I said, look, I can't do this anymore because it wasn't, it wasn't going to lead to anything, you know? So the old adage, well, you don't give up a job until you find another job. And I understand that, but it wasn't going to lead to anything. So you're just going to be going around in the same circle. And I don't want to do that for the rest of my life. So that's why, again, having gone out to ESPN last year, took a step back and said, look, kind of evaluate some things. And I even had sent an email to my two editors in January of 2019, kind of telling them what I was feeling about, do I want to keep doing this? And my editor, he understands. And I still do some work for them on the side. I just don't do the beat stuff anymore. But I'm just trying to get my story out there because that's, yes, I want to be known for what I know how to do. But right now, you know, need to get my story out there. Need it to be able to get in the hands of somebody who can truly make a difference. And unfortunately, I haven't been able to find that person yet. Okay. Well, what I would say to you is continue doing what you're doing. Continue improving your skills and continue making these connections and networking and continue writing. I would really encourage you to to think about writing outside of sports, not just because maybe it's it would you know open up more opportunities in different areas of writing and and journalism, but I think writing is is can be so therapeutic. You know, you said it was therapeutic, but it can also be very I don't know. It's one of the blessings of being a journalist and and having the opportunity to write and create and express yourself and be able to tap into that creative part of your brain. I think that the more you exercise that muscle, the better and stronger a person you are in general in life, just because I think the more creative thinking you are, the the better communicator you are, the more likely you are going to be a better person to interact with other people and understand things. One of the things, one aspect of our conversation has been very much about the fact you're reaching a point in your life. You know, you know, in March, I'm going to be 60 and I'm still engaged in creating journalism. I'm still engaged in being a podcaster and I don't know how long that's going to be, but I'm always looking for opportunities to do other things and to push myself forward because whatever is driving me forward is that's just whatever's in me. And I think it's probably still in you. You know, I, I would say to you, don't be discouraged because you're 36 or you're getting your, you're getting your 40 or whatever, because there's still plenty of time in your life. There's so much pressure 
people coming out of college to, you know, get that dream job. And there were people who get those opportunities in their twenties, you know, have great meteoric careers and other people who just, you know, decide, eh, I want to do something else now, you know, having a career is a lifelong thing. And so don't be discouraged. I guess this, that's my message to you, but Blake, thanks for coming on the podcast. Please stay in touch. Let us know what you're doing and good luck. Thanks, Michael. Appreciate you having me on. You've been listening to It's All Journalism, a weekly podcast about the people who make the news. You can find out more about us and download past episodes at itsalljournalism.com. While you're visiting our website, why not sign up for the It's All Journalism newsletter? You'll get all the latest info about our podcast, including episode notes and news about live events and upcoming interviews. Go to itsalljournalism.com to subscribe. It takes a lot of people to create an episode of It's All Journalism. Nicole Grisco produced this episode. Amber Healy wrote our web content. Nick Dupre wrote our theme music. Emilia Brust helped with our booking. Nicholas Hunter provided a web assist. And I'm your host, Michael O'Connell. Thanks for listening.